This episode of Sword and Laser is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial, go to squarespace.com sword and enter the offer code sword. A better web starts with your website. Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. How you doing? Oh boy. Well, this is the show, the science fiction fantasy show, book club, podcast, Stop uh, publisher. Right there. This is show. This is the actual show. This is the show. You are the only listening. show. You don't need any other shows. I don't need to promo the show because you are listening to the show. That's right. How's it going? Um, so if I sound funny tonight, I am in Chicago right now. Uh, I was on a shoot today. Why do you think Chicago would make you sound funny? Well, because I'm at a hotel. Are you going to talk like this and have some sausage? <laughs> Cheer for the bears. Da bears. Dobbles. Duck ups. Um, I am uh, on a blue microphone, which I have. Uh, it is not mine. I am borrowing it. It's very sad. It's blue. Um, is it Chicago Bear blue? No, actually, it's kind of it's a white microphone, but it's kind of tinged a little yellow. It's like an older blue microphone. So it's seen better days, uh, but it's it, hopefully it's working OK. You can hear me, right? Yeah, you sound great. Fantastic. Um, so yeah, thank you guys for listening. Uh, usually we kick this off with what are we drinking, but I basically got back from the shoot and uh, set this stuff up and I have not had time to call for any kind of food or beverage. So I'm on water. I, on the other hand, have gone to great effort and expense to procure myself a glass of water. Yeah, I'm not drinking anything. <laughs> All right. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better. Um, hopefully you guys are enjoying some kind of uh, either water delicious, healthy, body cleansing good water. Good and good for you. You're yeah. 70% water yourself or something. Yeah. yeah. I was like, it's, it, isn't it the, like, you're, we are the same amount of water as the earth has water on it. Ooh. Some kind of like cosmic connection. That's weird. It's really deep. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, we, we are watering it up tonight. Uh, but let's jump right into the quick burns. So our first quick burn uh, comes from Chris. Uh, we, we take a lot of these now from the Goodreads news section. Mm -hmm. And Chris pointed out the Mad Adam TV series based on the novels by Margaret Atwood. Darren Aronofsky will be adapting it for HBO. That is super exciting. I think this is going to be a really great year for sci-fi and television again, or at least in the next couple of years. I, I feel like there's a lot of great projects right now on the horizon that should be pretty interesting for us um, and for listeners of our show. Uh, did we read Oryx and Crake for the book club? I feel like no. We did oh okay. I just read it on my own. Um, I haven't read the entire series. Didn't yet. we? See, I always, I think I always do this because when I was in the book club with Josh Lawrence, the like real life book club back. Before Sword and Laser existed, I think mm -hmm. we read Handmaid's Tale. And so I always get confused and think we read Handmaid's Tale for Sword and Laser. Or maybe really we did. I really feel like we read Oryx and Crake. We didn't read Oryx and Crake. I know that. Well, we didn't read the uh, Handmaid's Tale either. Sorry, Margaret Atwood. We suck. We haven't read any of your well, books I've in Book Club. <laughs> Not for the Book Club. But anyway, a very popular series. Um, obviously, a very beloved author. We're not sure yet what kind of uh, connection she's going to have to the actual show. Um, you know, whether she will be a producer or whether she will have any kind of writing credit. Um, you know, it's pretty unusual for that to happen. It is. It is. I mean, not everyone's going to be as hands-on as someone like George that. R. Martin is. Yeah. Um, for example, but I, I am looking forward to this. 
very much. And I think he's a great director. So that that is all the all the more better good. Although you aren't uh, joined in that by all of the people in the thread here. I just I just lost my place as I was saying that. Oh, Ben wrote Pi, Requiem for a Dream, The Wrestler, Black Swan. I think that's a good track record. Uh, and then Paul writes back, I think The Fountain, and from what I've heard, I've not seen it either. Noah may suggest that he's one of those directors who loses focus with a big budget. So hopefully he doesn't get a big budget. Well, yeah, but the difference is, I think with HBO series, I mean, when you have a little more breathing room to kind of take your time with this kind of stuff, a big budget movie is like you have to kind of have it all figured out in one go. I think with a series, um, you there's a little more flexibility uh, to kind of let the audience grow into the story and to kind of take your time telling the story. Um, so maybe that will be good for someone like him, who's obviously more of a, of a artistic style director um, to have that, that time and, and breathing room. But yeah. what do I know? I'm not a director. No, that makes a lot of sense to me. Like I, I prefer books, especially books that are series be made into television shows just because it gives you more running room trying to, cram a big 600 page book even into an like a three-hour movie is not enough mm-hmm. um so I, I'm, I'm glad to see that and especially because this is a trilogy uh daniel posted the 2014 Audie winners for audible.co.uk uh, they were just announced on may 30th wisp of a thing by alex bledsoe one in the fantasy category captain vorpatrol's alliance by lois mcmaster bujold won the sci-fi award and republic of thieves and the martian also both got nominations in their respective categories <laughs> i'm laughing a little bit because daniel i don't know if it was a a uh, an error oh don't do it to him okay don't throw him under the bus okay well i was like who's lois mcmaster oh it's Lois. Yes, anyway, I just Mistyped. finished. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blame autocorrect. I'm going to say autocorrect must have changed Lois to Lewis. Yes, it was that. But that's very interesting. I didn't actually even know that they had the Audi Awards. I did not know that was a thing until today. Yeah, no, that's pretty cool. I didn't know that either until I saw it. For on the Goodreads forum. Yeah, I guess, uh, I mean, considering Audible has been a sponsor for so long and, and we are so kind of, you know, dug into the Audible world at this point because we listen to so many great books. You don't have to make excuses, Ron. I just had no idea it existed. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, Mad Adam by Margaret Atwood was number three in the science fiction category. Okay, so it's all, it's all new so stuff. So now we've gotcha. ta- we will try to tie Margaret Atwood into every story. <laughs> you know, I just finished uh, Shards of Honor uh, by Bujold. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, it was great. So I think I'll probably continue on with that series in the future myself. Uh, maybe I'll pick up some of the Audible ones. It seems like they uh, are pretty great. Apparently, I- they're award-winning. Yeah. Oh, and sorry, by the way, if you guys hear like weird internet stuff, um, I am also on like a one meg down connection right now. So I don't know exactly how uh, the audio is going to Yeah, so leave up. her alone. Be nice huh. to me. Be nice to be. We also have the um, 2014 Dittmar Awards. Um, this is over on SF Signal by John DiNardo, our pal over there. Um, yeah, so there's, uh, let's see, the winners of the 2014 Dittmar Awards given by members of the Australian National Science Fiction Convention for professional and fan works by Australians have been announced. And uh, we have for Best Novel, Fragments of a Broken Land uh, by Robert, Robert Hood. And then uh, for Best Novella or Novelette, we have The Home for Broken Dolls by Kristen McDermott. And also Caution contains small parts, uh, which is part of that, um, that larger series or larger uh, anthology. That is really cool, especially because 
I have not read or heard much about any of these. And this is the kind of thing I like is the, these awards are good for that, especially these kinds of awards, but they're like the Australian science fiction convention awards, mm-hmm. because it's going to expose you to things that are probably pretty good or else they wouldn't make the award list and you might not get exposed to them otherwise. So, and it's good for the authors too. Absolutely. Um, and then, uh, unfortunately, we have some sad news, um, as Joe Informatico over on the forums pointed out. Um, but author Jay Lake passed away. Um, this was, it was really, uh, on my feed quite a bit, um, this past week. Uh, a lot of authors, uh, you know, who knew him or, or knew him and respected his work or, or just had read his work in the past and, and, and uh, knew of his ability, uh, were, were mourning the loss of, of, of Jay Lake. So we're, we're very sorry to hear that. Uh, yeah, he pro- prolific short story writing, uh, the neo-Victorian diced weirdness of the mainspring trilogy, uh, as Joe points out in the post. So, uh, it's very, very sad to see Jay Lake go. And yeah, I was not prepared for the outpouring on my Twitter feeds myself, mm-hmm. uh, of people, but he definitely deserved it. Mm-hmm. Now the Nerdist has a story here from Alicia Lutz that will get you into a George R. R. Martin book. All you have to do is spend $20,000. Yeah, George R. Martin, uh, he will write you in and he will do what George Martin does best, which is um, see you off this mortal coil. <laughs> yes, your character will not survive, but it will make it into the book. Yeah, and uh, does it does it get to be your name or is it a character that you can create? It probably doesn't matter at $20,000. You can probably have whatever you want. The winner will get to choose their character's position in the fictional world. Lord, Knight, Queen, Khaleesi, whatever. Uh, Meet a death to merit the title of a particular, insert color preference here, wedding. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of (laughs) big. Yeah. Um, So lucky for the rest of us mortals, um, it says, anyone who donates at all is automatically entered to win a tour of the Wolf Sanctuary, uh, complete with dinner, conversation, and even a helicopter ride, um, which is well, you're bearing awesome. you're bearing the lead there. The yeah. whole point of the campaign it's is to money. raise money for the Wild Spirit Wolf Sanctuary. People are like, so I spend twenty thousand dollars, just what? So George R. R. Martin can eat more bonbons while he <laughs> delays Aww. writing? No, that's, that's nice that's, to say about George R. R. Martin. No, I'm saying that's not what it's about at all. This is so you can raise money for the Wild Spirit Wolf Sanctuary. So it's a really good cause. Yes, that is is super awesome. And uh, George R. R. Martin is very supportive of. Um, you know, New Mexico in general, because he lives there and he's a great supporter of the arts. And um, I think that is that is fantastic. And I wish wow. I had that kind of money to throw around. Other prizes for people who donate include signed maps of Westeros, cooks, cookbooks, uh, scripts from the series and even Martin's hat. And tickets to the season five premiere. Yeah, but I want his hat. You want his hat? I mean, the season five premiere. Is he, really gonna, he must really be willing. Wow. Giving up his hat. That's well, he's probably got more fun, I'm guessing. No. You think he's giving up his only hat? Yeah. Wow. A man that would give his only hat for the benefit of wolves. Awesome. Awesome guy. Good on it's you, good George stuff. R. Martin. Good on you. Uh, makes me feel like I should go just buy all of your books on audible.com. <laughs> yes, audible.com is the leading provider of downloadable digital audiobooks and spoken word entertainment. And of course, as always, uh, they are going to give you a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30 day trial membership, um, which is fantastic. They have so many different things that we've done for the book show. Um, book show? 
for the book club. It's and the book show. show. The book show. Welcome to the book show. I'm Veronica. Uh, uh, we, do, we shouldn't tread on their trademark, the book show people. They do a good job. <laughs> oh, is that a show? It's a show. Oh. Well, then, Believe free, you have been free, on it. Free promo for the book show. Oh, oh, that show. Yes. <laughs> I've also been on that show. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but did you know that the latest Kindle app for iOS and Android now allows you to whisper sync to an Audible book within the app? Really? You just touch a button. If it's one of the <gasps> books that has whisper sync, you don't even have to leave and go to the Audible app. You oh. just you just tap and if you have that audiobook, it pops up and starts playing. That is fantastic because it was a little I was having a hard time sometimes getting my things to com- to connect between my my Audible and and my Kindle stuff and now that sounds like a perfect solution. Yeah. One so touch anyway, solution. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm just saying if you haven't gone to audiblepodcast.com slash sword and signed up for a freaking free audiobook that you get to keep, right? They're just going to throw an audiobook at you for no reason. Well, for trying it out, actually. There is a reason. But you get to keep that. You don't, no, you don't have to do anything else. You get a free audiobook, but you're going to want to stay because then you want to get those audiobooks regularly because they're amazing. And then you know how to pronounce the names of the characters. <laughs> Maybe. If Which means the narrator got you, have, you have a one-up on most of us. Yeah. No, I, I've been reading Promise of Blood as an audiobook. There's one example of an audiobook that you could get, uh, but get anyone you want. Try it out. Audiblepodcast.com slash sword. Not only gets you an audiobook, uh, gets you into the world of Audible, but also supports the show. So there you go. Yes. And thank you for Audible uh, for their continued support of the Sword and Laser. All right, so now it is time to discuss picks. Picks. The picks. The picks. I've been reading on The Steel Breeze by Alistair Reynolds. It's the sequel to Blue Remembered Earth. I've been very excited, although I did not go ahead and buy the UK version early like I did with Blue Remembered Earth because I, I had so much on my plate. But I'm excited to finally get around to it. The only thing is I'm, I want to burn through it really fast because Cibola Burn by James S.A. Corey is apparently already on bookshelves in bookstores some places. Oh, that's not fair. I was saying. Uh, But but if you've pre-ordered it, uh, it is yet to arrive on my Kindle. So that comes out June 17th, and I really, really want to read that too. But On the Steel Breeze takes place quite a few years after Blue Remembered Earth. But Alistair Reynolds does a great job of reintroducing you to the characters, like introducing you to the new characters in relation to the old characters in a way that kind of jogs your memory if you haven't read Blue Remembered Earth in a while and yet doesn't do it in a way that's like, well, he's obviously just explaining to me who the characters are anymore. It's, it's very elegantly done. Uh, and you've got a mystery right out the gate, uh, which is what I love. So I can't wait to to get off Earth, get out of the uh, arcologies out in the uh, the ocean kingdoms or the ocean republics and, and see what's happening out there because – there's clones and ghosts and all kinds of cool stuff. The clones. The clones. Um, so I have been cranking through books this month. I don't know what it is, if it's just all the travel or or what. Um, but I first off, I finished uh, Lions of Al-Rasan uh, by Guy Gavriel Kay, which oh, nice. was our book pick for Vaginal Fantasy. And it, it would have been right at home on Sword and Laser, too. I mean, it was absolutely a great read. And I wrote a little review over on Goodreads, um, if you guys are interested in checking it out. Um, but what I loved about it is that while it does have fantastical elements, it's really more of like an alt history take on uh, the Iberian Peninsula. And I think, Tom, as, as you being a lover of history and of, you know, geography, or at least that's how I think of you, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think you would really like it, too. I'm there. 
geography lover. There's a there's romance elements. Sheila uh, geography. More bromance though. A lot of bromance in this mm. book, and mm-hmm. not romantically, but like like uh, two of the main characters are are just awesome together. He's named Guy. So yes. you know you're gonna have guys in the book. That was so. Oh, Tom. <laughs> just. Tom, 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 Tom. Now you're calling attention to it. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, that was a great pick. A standalone novel. Um, you know, if, you, if you've if you read Guy Gavriel K in the past, I think this will be one that you really will, will enjoy as well. Um, I also finished Blackbirds by Chuck Wendig. Um, and it is just as sweary and violent as promised. <laughs> awesome. Um, although I did uh, take up with him some issues I had with his descriptions of the Jersey Shore uh, that I felt personally affronted by. Um, and so then we bonded over the fact that we both have spent time in Surf City on Long Beach Island. And uh, though apparently we had different takeaways. Um, so we we, ch- we were joking about that on Twitter. Um Little, you know, because I was just talking to author Chuck Wendig. On well, Twitter, you know, when you know. I was name dropping Chuck Wendig, on, I mean, talking oh, did to I Chuck just drop Wendig a name on, there? Let me pick on that up. Twitter. Yeah, I think you dropped something there. <sighs> so that was a, that was a great book. I, I will continue with that series as well. Um, and now I'm reading Marie Brennan's uh, The Tropic of Serpents, a memoir by Lady Trent. Um, just started it last night. I'm barely a chapter in, uh, but I'm super excited to get back into this series because we had so much fun reading uh, a me- uh uh, the first one, a history the, of dragons. Uh, natural history natural of dragons. Natural history of dragons. <laughs> reading I that mention, other stuff. Did I mention I've been on a shoot all day and my brain is a little bit fried? Um, <laughs> that's okay. Um, I actually that's on my list to read as well because uh, I really enjoyed the first one. Mm-hmm. And of course, as usual, all of you guys are over on Goodreads talking about what you are reading in our. What are you reading June 2014 thread? Um, let's see. Uh, Josh actually kicked off the one uh, this month, and he's reading In the Cities of Coin and Spice, uh, which is the second book of Catherine Valenti's uh, Orphan Tales. <laughs> Makes you sound like you have an accent when you read it like that. What? In what the Cities of Coin and Spice. I didn't mean Except to do that. It's really spice. Did I say I didn't? to do that um he's also reading uh paladin of souls which uh i actually started reading it's the um the follow-up to the curse of chalion um and uh you know i liked paladin of souls i did not i could not get into the third book in that series uh whose name is escaping me right now um unfortunately but uh that was cj sherry right Mm, i think so yeah let me i better click on it to make sure um yeah, that series, I, I, no, Lois McMaster Bouchold. <laughs> oh, we're both wrong. <laughs> we're both horribly, horribly wrong. Um, but yes, uh, that, that, uh, the Paladin of Souls was really good. Right. That's her fantastic fantasy foray. And then, uh, the, for Costigan saga, uh, was sci-fi. Wow. I, I don't know if it, if I'm just, because I'm looking at it so closely right now and that, that we're including it in the show, mm-hmm. but the variants of, of things that people are reading. I mean, I see Dune, uh, I see Brave New World, I, I see Caves of Steel by Isaac Asimov, I see Anathem, and then I see, you know, The Strain, The Borgias, The Hidden History. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, what the Wild Cards uh, series that George R. R. Martin edits. I mean, there's just like so much variety of stuff in here. It makes me proud. Yeah, a lot of people are reading, um, finishing up the um, 
the uh, Daughter of Smoke and Bone series as well, which finishes up with uh, Of God and Monsters, um, which I read last month and really, really loved. Um, so yeah, you know, people, we, we, we finish our book and then we move on into varying and interesting realms of, of different types of stuff. But I'm also excited to see that um, people are continuing on with, with the series of books that we've started or, you know, are continuing on with authors that we've had on the show. Um, like, like, uh, Michelle, for example, is, is, uh, just picked up Promise of Blood, but she's also reading Mockingbird and also reading, um, you know, uh, um, the deaths of Tao. And so that's cool. It's cool to hear that people are, are picking stuff up. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I just finished Zoe's tale myself. Uh, I think I mentioned that I was pretty close to the end last episode and that's because we read old man's war that I'm, you know, carrying on. I plan to go right into the human division. Awesome. All right. And of course, um, because we are talking about books that we're excited about, we should jump into a little bit of uh, some of the calendar selections. Um, out on June 10th is Shield and Crocus by Michael R. Underwood, um, who, by the way, we will have an interview with um, uh, Mr. Underwood at the end of today's show. Um, so stay tuned uh, after the credits and we'll jump right into our chat with him. We also have the video over on youtube.com slash the sword and laser from our Google Hangout with Michael. Um, we also have uh, Cibola Burn by James S.A. Corey. So excited is out june 17th as is uh the long mars a novel long earth by terry pratchett and stephen baxter um, we also have rogues edited by george r, r. martin and gardner desois and uh, contributions from gillian flynn and neil gaiman in there as well you can find more upcoming releases at swordandlaser.com slash calendar <laughs> now you're making me hungry for pasta because i thought calendar please strain your choices through a calendar that's clever that was pretty clever Thanks. Ah, shall we jump into Barrier Sword? Yes, let's do it. Uh, I picked this one because I sort of I sort of identify with Eric here. He wrote, "Anyone else finding reading about sex in fiction and or reading of profanity to be awkward?" Nope. Eric says, <laughs> "I don't think I'm a prude." Although, as I've discussed elsewhere in the Sword and Laser group, there are issues with the maleness of the sex and nudity on Game of Thrones. I don't have problems seeing it. Don't get squeamish or anything. I'm a photography enthusiast and I've photographed nude models. So there are my bona fides such as they are. I haven't read many books with graphic depictions of sex, but recently a lot of quotes from Game of Thrones books were online because of the rape in the church controversy. Also, a few months ago, I was reading excerpts of a book that had graphic depictions of sex, and I just found both examples really awkward to read. I don't know if it's the multitude of synonyms used so that the book isn't a repetition of medical terms or one particular term for the parts involved, but it just reads so awkwardly to me. Maybe it's just been parodied so much that I can't take it seriously. Maybe don't, maybe don't read this next line because phrases are, are like she 17. Don't read that. <laughs> just make my eyes roll. And as I said, feel awkward to read. Okay. Not awkward to read are past tense things. Uh, somewhat related, I always find it really weird to read profanity. I don't know why. If someone says a bad word, nothing special registers in my brain. But reading it, it seems more visceral, more profane than when spoken. Anyone else have that feeling? Um, so personally, I mean, it's, it's for me when stuff is silly and kind of over the top, I mean, that kind of brings it into the vaginal fantasy realm sometimes. And that's part of the show is, is laughing at that kind of thing. But I think, you know, sex scenes are only as good as the author usually. Well put. 
And so if there is a great author who is describing something, like I just said, we read a, a, a book with romantic elements um, in Guy Gabriel Kay's novel. And him being the master of, of, of writing and prose that he is, it doesn't feel, it feels like just another beautiful element of the story that you're already experiencing. Um, I, I, I feel a little bit of what Eric feels about sex scenes, not about the profanity so much, but about sex scenes because it, and I think you just prompted a thought that for me, it depends on the character, Mm. right? If it's a character that I feel like I'm friends with and it hasn't been established that this person is sort of like a, you know, like altered carbon to Takeshi Kovach. You know, like, okay, he's a randy little son of a gun right from the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. But if it's like, oh, suddenly now this character is doing that, it's it's like the awkward thing when your friend's making out in front of you. And you're <gasps> like, ah, I don't want to watch. <laughs> Make it stop. Uh, but there are definitely some varying opinions. Uh, Steven, uh, or Steve rather, says, absolutely not. Uh, those are all parts of life and other scenarios. So why should I feel awkward, whether reading about it or living it? It just doesn't bother me at all. It's the quality of the writing that counts. Okay, so we agree on that point. Uh, now, I admit your examples are particularly cheesy ones, and my eyes would roll too, but I wouldn't feel awkward. I don't think Eric was saying Steve should feel awkward. Steve almost is defensive. Like, why should I feel awkward? Like, you shouldn't. If you don't feel awkward, that's fine. I think what Eric was saying is, feel am shame. I alone? Am I the only one who feels this way? Um, and no, I don't think he's the only one. You should be ashamed of your feelings in your body. <laughs> shame. No, Eric, do not feel ashamed. That at feelings all. are the devil inside you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> feelings are the devil. I don't wow. know. I'm a little. I'm a little punch drunk. Uh, Wilmar has a, has a uh, yeah repressed Catholic. Yeah, <laughs> reformed Catholic. Um. <laughs> Yeah, so this, it's a good thread. If you want to dive in, um, it's, it's pretty funny. People are going back and forth and, and deciding what's appropriate and what's not. <laughs> we also had a really... I, go oh, ahead. go ahead. I was just no. going to say, I think I have more problem with profanity now than sex. Really? So I See, I never have a problem with profanity in a book. I will sometimes feel awkward about profanity depending on who's in the room with me. Mm, you maybe know, that's like more it. Parents, grandparents, you're like, oh, this is a little weird. But. I get super sensitive when kids are around. Yeah, I yeah. yell at people who swear around kids, even though I know the kids have probably heard worse. And I curse like a sailor, like when I'm with my friends or like on a shoot or with a crew. Um, apparently, she does, man. She says, I've asked you, mateys. I'm lost. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say something mast. so bad, and I stopped myself. <laughs> I was going to say something. You're going to say something about C? No. Men? No, Tom! No. Oh. No, I'm just talking about men who are on the sea, sailors. Sailors. Yeah. Sailors. That's not what I was going to say, but now that's in my head, so thank you. <laughs> hey, let's talk about what Nokomis.fl posted, which was summer climate fiction or Cli-Fi. Uh, it's a scientificamerican.com story that he links to. What's on your climate change summer reading list? Uh, and it's got a list of, of different novels that involve climate change. Memory of Water by Emmy Itaranta, who is a blogger and environmentalist. Instructions for a Heat Wave by Maggie O'Farrell. Weather isn't the only thing that's oppressing the family in Maggie O'Farrell's taut, compelling sixth novel. Climate Changed by Philippe Squar. Zoni. Uh, it's actually an index, 470 pages, and includes sentences like 
Water vapor is one of the forms that water takes in its global cycle in which it is transformed mm-hmm. by the sun and circulates through the different stages of that cycle. Yeah, this is a two-page uh, article about books that are about climate change, and I think that is uh, kind of interesting. Now, not all of the books on that list are fiction, but there are enough fiction books in there. I think it's pretty interesting. And then Sean is like, what? They didn't mention Heavy Weather by Bruce Sterling? Auto fail. <laughs> I have not heard of that book either. Um, what? So- you haven't heard of Heavy Weather by Bruce Sterling? Auto fail. Uh, but Jenny posts uh, several books, including Flood by Stephen Baxter and uh, Arctic Rising by Tobias Buckle. Um, Bukel Buckle. I can't say your name, Tobias. I'm so sorry. I've struggled with this for years. Isn't it Bucknell? I think it's is Buckle. It buckle? 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 Is it just Buckle? It is just B-U-C-K-E-L-L. I'm sorry, Tobias. I feel like a jerk and I can't say people's Tobias. names. Tobias. No, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just messing <laughs> Yeah, but Clifi, I, uh, I dig it. I will but you know whose name is really easy to pronounce and writes a lot of Clifi is Paolo Bacigalupi. <laughs> I've gotten really good at saying his name. Say it. Paolo Bacigalupi. See? Just showing that you can do it. Oh, Drowned World by J.G. Ballard. Good one. Yeah. Nicely done, Jack. So some interesting stuff there for sure. Excellent. Well, in a minute, we're going to talk about the July book pick. uh, So you can start making your plans for the sci-fi pick, the laser pick for July. Uh, And then we'll discuss Promise of Blood as we're doing. If you're not used to it yet, we're going to do all book discussions at the end. So even if they're not spoilery, if you haven't, if you just don't want to know anything about the book, you can you could stop before the end and not miss anything else. Uh, but we want to take a moment to acknowledge that Squarespace uh, is a funder of podcasts, big and small, and we are no exception. Mm-hmm. Uh, we use them for SwordAndLaser.com. They're an excellent way to build a website if you need something that's a gallery, if you're a photographer, if you're a small business person, and you just want a really good looking website. If you want to run an online store, Squarespace is in the forefront of helping all of these people, including podcasters, reach the next level. But Squarespace wanted to try something different for this advertisement, so they hired Jonathan Mann. Uh, Have you heard of Jonathan Mann before, Veronica? I had not. He wrote a really good net neutrality song recently. That's where I had heard of him. Oh, very cool. Uh, And he does a song a day. Uh, creator of viral hits like A Duet with Siri and We've Got to Break Up. He's a huge fan of podcasting, uh, loves the hosts of all the podcasts he listens to, and he loves Squarespace. So after the thousandth time hearing an ad read about Squarespace on one of his favorite podcasts, he was like, no more. Uh, and he has created a song to give us a break telling you about Squarespace. Would you like to hear it? I would. Here's a little bit. So he's even got a... Hey, uh, everyone. Welcome to the Sword and ah, Laser. No, hey, that's, that's me. Stop us. How are you doing that? Are you, <laughs> are you playing our That's future? a little preview of what you'll get at the end of the show, because that's the Mike Underwood interview. Ah, okay. Um, so uh, anyway, the, uh, the, the whole point of that was that Squarespace is awesome. Go look up Jonathan Mann on YouTube, and you can find his other songs, including the full version of the Squarespace song. And for a free trial and 10% off squarespace.com slash sword... Uh, use the offer code SWORD. Thank you. That is great. Uh, what a cool way to to talk about a brand that you're excited about. Um, I wish I was musically inclined in that way. You could sing. I could. I can karaoke, okay. Why not? Go ahead. Sing. Nope. 
Do, no, no, do it. No, no. Uh, let's let's just go to Twitter. Let's uh, go no. to Twitter. Twitter.com slash song a day man with two ends if you want to follow Jonathan Mann. Very cool. And thank you to Squarespace for supporting our show. All right, let's jump into the book of the month discussion. I'm really happy I didn't have to sing just then. Um, so before we move into spoiler territory, uh, so the July pick is uh, still up for a vote. Um, we are going to be reading Octavia Butler um, and voting is going to end on June 22nd. Uh, so you can go right now and vote on which Octavia Butler book you would like to read. And I took a little feedback from our last poll. Um, I had noticed that people were complaining a bit that uh, once the polls were getting to the end of the month, people were changing their votes to kind of back the winning horse. And um, they were like, well, you know, something else might have won had nobody known what the results were and had so skewed the votes because there was a pretty close race at the front. Um, so I made it so that you can't see what other people have picked. See, now I made it so people could see what was picked when I created the poll mm -hmm. because – People said, I really like that you can see what's winning in the poll because if a pick that I voted for is not going to win, I want my vote to count and I'm and a, and a book that might come in second otherwise might win if I have the chance to change oh. my vote. <laughs> I like how we interpreted that information totally differently. <laughs> well, no, there were both things were said. Both okay. things were said on the, on the, the, so it's just two different ways of going about it, right? One is let's just have the vote, like, let's have first past the post, right? The other one's like, I kind of want like a, a poor man's ranked choice where, you know, if I can tell like fledgling right now only has eight votes, it's probably not just statistically speaking, going to be able to get enough votes to win. So those eight people could change their vote and give it to wild seed. And then wild seed would be the pick instead of Dawn, theoretically. But that's giving away a little bit of what the. Uh, I don't the know. I like it being a from. secret better. See, but that's how you end up getting things that are minority victories. And that leads to the influence of money in politics and the downfall of the I republic. Will take bribes. And vandals will sack Rome. I'll take just bribes. Saying. I'll take bribes. I'll take your bribes. I'll change votes. I don't care. I'm for transparency. <laughs> Sunshine laws. What is our? What, what are we? Freedom of information, for? Veronica. What can what can we be compared to? Are you like? Are you so basically? I'm a I'm sophist? Verizon and you're Netflix. Yes, that's a good example too. Because neither one of them are on your side. Wait. <laughs> Wait a minute. We're both on your side, people. Uh, so yeah, we? we can we can do it any way we want. <laughs> but but that's fine. We'll we'll Tom, let this us, was let's... your vote. Tom, this was your poll. So if you want to change it back to having full transparency, I can't stand it. No, anyway. unless a, unless there's an uprising with pitchforks and torches, I won't change it back because uh, the because I do remember people saying the other thing too. So that's fine. We've got a little um, time. Yeah. I think we can't go wrong actually. That's kind of why I wanted to do it this way cuz I'm like we're reading Octavia Butler. Mm -hmm. Not gonna. Get, there's no way around that. Everybody which, wins. Which one we read? I would like to know which one people are more excited about. And you can already kind of tell which which two they're most excited. Well, maybe three depends on how you look at it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Cool. I'm excited. I have not yet read any Octavia Butler, so this is uh, exciting for me. That's what that's all about. Woot. 
Um, but right now, currently, we are reading uh, The Promise of Blood um, uh, by Brian McClellan, and uh, I have finished it. And uh, we won't go into too many spoilers right now because we know that it's only midway through the month. Um, but this is part of the Powder Mage trilogy. And uh, yeah, it seems like a lot of you guys are really enjoying it. In fact, there's a, a fun thread going on right now about casting. Uh, and actually, Brian has jumped in to talk about some of his motivations for certain characters and who he pictures when he was writing. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. He actually was like, is yeah, it thanks, cool Brian. if I jump into this thread? And I was like, please do. Jump into any thread you want. Like, absolutely. You're um, Brian McClellan. You're a powder mage. So this thread was started by John, and uh, his choice for Adamat would be uh, Paul Giametti, um, which I thought was pretty great. He says, granted, he may come to mind because of the inspector <laughs> character he played in The Illusionist. Uh, fantastic movie, by the way. And then Tassie Dave jumped in uh, saying for Tom, uh, Thomas or Tamas, what did they say in the audiobook? Tamas. Tamas. Um, mm -hmm. You would need a badass older actor. I think Kurt Russell would be perfect. And the picture he posts of Kurt Russell is pretty darn good, I have to say. That that picture makes Kurt Russell look like Tamas, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, I really like Darren's suggestion for Adamat, which is Adamant. <laughs> and Ben uh, pictured Daniel Day-Lewis as Tamis. That picture of Daniel Day-Lewis isn't bad either, actually. And that is actually, I believe, um, what Brian, I'm trying to find Brian's uh, thread. And he said, I, I think he said that um, that it was actually Daniel Day-Lewis was the, was the uh, inspiration. Was the inspiration for that character? Um, let me, let me see if I can actually find it. Cause I, he did write the Jeremy Irons. Oh, I'm sorry. It was Jeremy, I Jeremy Irons. I've always imagined Jeremy Irons as Tamas, which is interesting because when I saw the picture of Jeremy Irons that Ben put in this thread, I was like, you know, he look he looks too neat compared to what I you think, think of. If you grizzled him up a little bit in that picture, I think. Yeah. You might perfect. want to dirty him up, but then, then he'd be perfect. Basically I'm very impressionable. And so impression. <laughs> so any picture people post, I'm like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's good. Yeah. I can totally see that. Perfect. And then the next person posts, Oh, oh yeah, I know that one's really good. Yeah. They should do that. Um, so there's apparently people are really focused on Adamat and, uh, and Tamis. Now, what about Couple? Because she's my favorite. And uh, he, he, Brian wrote uh, that Emma Watson would be good for Couple, but she was actually inspired by the actress from the third Transporter movie. And Ben found the name, Natalia Rudakova. Natalia Rudakova. Did I get um, that right? Yeah, you did. Thanks. Uh, Caitlin jumps in which, with a bunch of great ones. Um, actually, she's the second person to say uh, Idris Elba as Tamis. Um, Actually, Idris Elba got cast for like three different parts throughout oh, really? this thread. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's like, just put Idris Elba in there somewhere. Just we don't really care. Just put him in all the movies. He could be Adamat. He can be Juline. We don't care. Ooh, how about um, Edward James almost as Mahali? Oh. Oh. That's interesting. That's cool, huh? Yeah. That gives Mahali a little gravitas. I mean, yeah. and he needs gravitas. But the, the, uh, the way the audiobook reads him, he reads like a really fat mountain. Uh, mm -hmm. and I, I could almost see Edward James almost being better for that. I dig it. All right. Although Edward James almost doesn't get a chance to do as many funny bits the way Mahalas has. So that'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have, um, some first impressions, um, or I'm sorry, uh, people and places for 200, Alex, <laughs> this th thread was started by Daniel, uh, which does rhyme with Taniel. 
which is mm-hmm. the other name. It's Daniel which is the Daniel. whole point of the thread. Yes. Um, and he goes on to say, one of the challenges of reading sci-fi and fantasy is deciding how to pronounce the names the author creates. I was well into chapter three before I decided, realized, uh, Tamis is pronounced like Thomas or But here's the thing. Brian said that he likes to take common names and twist them. So everyone thinks Thomas is how T-A-M-A-S should be pronounced. However, in the audiobook, as Vicky points out, it's pronounced Tamas. And then people say, yeah, but we all know that the audiobooks don't always get it right. And then everyone's like, well, man, H-O-U-C-H, that can't be man hooch, right? And then, yes, as an audiobook reader, I can vouch man hooch is pronounced and in the audiobook man hooch. I asked Brian on Twitter, I was like, straight up, how do you say this word? And he was like, man hooch. Well, no, he didn't. He oh, said, Manooch? I've always say? said oh, it like, it. man, how could you without man-how? the would you? So, so like, man, how, man, how, man, how, man, how, man, how, man, how, man, how could you without the, would oh. you? Okay. Manhauk. Manhauk. So it's not Manhooch. Which, honestly, every time they said Manhooch for like the first half of the audiobook, it made me giggle a little. Manhooch. You're a child man. A man child. Well, I'm a Manhooch is what I am. You're a Manhooch. Um, I'm a Manhooch, I mean. And then like, uh, so I would say uh, Fatrasta. Fatrasta is how they say it in That's the audiobook. That's how they say it in the audiobook? Yeah. Okay. And Flora, and like Flora. Flora, yeah. David Sven says the audiobook pronounces it Adamant, but that's not how I hear it. I hear Adamant. I hear Adamant. 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 Um, all right. So interesting. Uh, yeah. Pronunciations. It's always, you know, whoever you get as an audiobook reader, they, they're going to kind of take their liberties with a little bit, you know, even if they've got some yep. input. Um, so you never with really know what you're going to get. a shot of Manhooch. And it's <laughs> – now I wish I had a cold glass of Manhooch. Wait. Nope. <laughs> nope. A reset from the record. That's not what I meant. <laughs> what are you drinking? Just a little manhooch. Oh, manhooch here and there. That's another name for bourbon. <laughs> and then finally, um, we have a thread by, uh, oh boy. Rabin Drainuth. Rabin Drainuth. Maybe. I don't know. Draini? Are you a Draini? Rabbi? Rabbi Draini? Well, he wants to know, uh, what do you guys think so far? He says, I'm enjoying the ride. It's pretty action packed. Um, and I am real. I really enjoyed it. Um, some people in other threads were saying they felt as though the info dumps were too regular. Hmm. Uh, and what they mean by that is a character kind of going into deep explanation of, of one of the parts of the story, whether it be like how powder religion mages or how that, different yeah. magic systems work, um, things of that nature. And people who should have known better because of their, you know, status in society or at least their worldliness. Um, so there were some complaints about that. And I think that's something we'll probably talk to Brian about in the future. Um, but yeah, I think I thought it was great. I love this style, this uh, um, flintlock. Is that what they were calling it? Flintlock core? <laughs> Flint core? Flint core. No, this, uh, this style of fantasy book, um, it has its own little name. Uh, and I can't write. It's something like Flintlock core. Not powder, core. I'm just powder making, core. I'm making that up. Um, you don't remember? I thought for sure you would remember. Old timey pipe smoke core? It's something with Flint. Punk? Flint, Flint punk? punk? Like Flint flint punk or something like that. i'm looking over the questions we asked him and i can't find it well i don't think i think i saw it in the threads i think i saw oh, it on okay. the internet because there's there's other books in i can't the believe world anything that, you see on the internet that's true 
Um, so did you did you enjoy it? I I am I I am like minutes away from the very end, so I, I basically know everything that that, that happens. Uh, and I had a really good time as I posted in that thread, the mm-hmm. first impressions thread. Thread uh, a little like Joanna, I got a dance of cloaks vibe out of this at the very beginning, mm-hmm. like just the part where you meet Tamas and Manhooch and and all of that. <laughs> I think it's right when Adamant gets called to the to the to the castle. Really feels like that. And then you go from that to Taniel and then you go to Tamas. And I was like, oh, I don't know, how many perspectives are we going to get here? And I was worried about that. I was like, I don't think I can keep these storylines straight. And it's just going to go venturing off into various parts of this land, which is really cool. I love this world. But he does such a great job of bringing them back together that I forgot about that concern. Like gotcha. A little over a third of the way into the book, I'm like, oh, okay, it's all coming into, it's all fitting together. And this idea that, you know, we're, we're in a, a place of gunpowder, flintlocks, you know, and sorcery, uh, I really, really like. I, I haven't read much in that kind of, of world. It's not quite steampunk, uh, not quite fantasy, you know, p- pure medieval fantasy. So I found it really interesting. I'm going to Google and really cool. Punk and see if that's a thing. I don't think it is. I, and I like I, I like the mythology that he created, especially the, when it becomes, and I don't want to get spoilery, but when you learn more about it later, uh, I'm like, yeah, this is really cool. In fact, I want to learn more. And apparently there is more in the, in the next book. And apparently the, the books just keep getting better, too. For everything that I've heard from people who have read the series say that they get better and better, um, which makes well, sense, you know, as, as, as a writer gets, you know, settled into a world and, and starts, uh, you know. Yeah, it starts, starts learning that world and getting comfortable in it. Mm-hmm. I, I really like Koppel. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm saying that right either, but uh, I really, really like that character. And uh, Rob says she's even better in the second book. And that's saying something to be able to pull off a character that is compelling, that you like and who never speaks. I think you're right that it's cup hold because um, uh, Taniel calls her pole sometimes as a nickname. Yeah. So that, right. that would make sense. All right. Well, we will uh, reserve the rest of our thoughts for um, – for this story uh, when we have our wrap-up episode at the end of the month on on June 24th. Um, so yeah, if you are reading The Promise of Blood, make sure you tune into that episode and, and leave us your thoughts in the forum so we can talk about them on the show as well. Yeah, we'll try to get Brian. Maybe not for that episode, maybe for that episode, but we'll try to talk to him about it too. Definitely. Um, he Yeah, he's totally open to the idea of doing a Q&A on Goodreads, so um, we'll get him in there at least, and, and maybe we can even get some of his thoughts uh, on the podcast as well again. Uh, we already we already dragged him in once, so I feel bad making him come on again. I'm sure he's busy, um, but if he's willing and has the time, uh, we'll, we'll ask him even more in-depth questions about the series now that we've both read it. Well, that about rats it, wraps it up. Rats it up. That about that rats, rats it up. The, the rats are in this palace. Wow, rats. Uh, that about wraps it up Muchos for this episode. Muchos ratones in mi pantalones. <laughs> Dios mio. <laughs> um, if you guys want to uh, check out more awesome shows, uh, we are, of course, a member of the uh, Boing Boing family of podcasts. And you can check out all of those great shows over at boingboing.net slash category slash podcasts. A little something for everyone over there. Um, I need to start ramping up my podcast listening myself. I've been behind uh, these days just, you know, doing audio books and, and reading, reading all, all those Kindle. books. Yeah. Reading all damn books. Um, it's been pretty awesome actually um but yeah boingboing.net slash category slash podcast check out all the other great shows over on the boingboing podcast network omg i almost forgot 
Oh. Swordandlaser.com slash store for the anthology. Or if you're looking for the Kindle version, it's in the Amazon store now. It is. There's a link to it at swordandlaser.com slash store um, if you want to just go there also. Um, so yeah, we are on Kindle officially. Yay! Woo. They finally decided to put us on Kindle. Um, people were like, why aren't you guys on Kindle yet? What's the meaning of this? And we're like, listen. Well, it's not like there's some guy sitting there with our book going, mm, I don't know. I don't know. Give me another day to think about it. No, it's, it works its way through the system. That's yeah. And also we are on sale right now. So you can get the anthology for $3 Amazon always does that. and 19 cents as opposed to uh, $3 and 99 cents. So thanks, Amazon. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of you wanted to read it on Kindle. Um, so we're happy that you're able to read it the way you want. Uh, that That's fantastic. I'm going to get a copy. I actually had a copy from that I converted from our, our EPUB and, you know, did the whole shebang. Well, you're uh, special. The, work, the workaround. Um, but yeah, now you can officially get it on Kindle, which is very exciting for us. Um, if you want to leave us an email, our email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. Um, everything happens at swordandlaser.com, but our discussions happen over on Goodreads if you search for the Sword and Laser. And if you want to call and leave us a voicemail, the phone number is 415-7-SWORD-6. And stay tuned um, because we have an interview with Mike Underwood coming up next. Bye. Bye. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. And this is one of our Google Hangouts. We are live with author Mike Underwood. Mike, thank you so much for being on the show. No, I'm very glad to be here. Happy to chat with everyone. Awesome. Now, Mike, if you don't know, is an author, a blogger, and even the North American sales marketing manager for Angry Robot Books. And his first novel, a, uh, an urban fantasy tale called Geekomancy, was published in July 2012. And his upcoming first print novel, Shield and Crocus, will be here on June 10th. Coming right up, huh? Yes, I'm at Book Expo this week, Phoenix Comic Con next week, and then it's the launch. So I will sleep on the 11th. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Sleep uh, is for the week. Well, we've got a bunch of questions from our Goodreads audience uh, that we can ask you. Uh, we have the live Hangout questions available. So if folks are watching on the events page on the Hangout, you can submit questions in there. We'll keep an eye out for those as well. Um, but uh, to start off, I hear we have a friend in common in Adam Christopher. Yeah, so um, I get to work with Adam when uh, for all of his Angry Robot books. So we started publishing him, and now he's got some books with Tor that are coming out. So uh, Empire State was kind of the book that I talked about in my job interview for when I was trying to get this this position. And then I've gotten to, to meet and chat with Adam at a couple of like world cons and things like that. So uh, we chat fairly often, also with like Chuck Wendig and Wes Chu and Madeline Ashby, many of whom have been on the show. Absolutely. Now, do you feel like you've picked up some good tips as a writer by working in, in the publishing world? Oh, for sure. Um, I've learned how to like how to position a book, uh, have a better sense of where my work fits in the broader genre, and then I just I get to read amazing fiction on the job. So I get to read like Chuck Wendig's Blackbirds and and see how he has just annihilated so many of the rest of us with his razor sharp voice in the Miriam <laughs> Black series. And so I get to see people operating at the top of the game. And, you know, I have colleagues who are editors and publicists, so I get to steal their tricks as well. 
Uh, tell us about your first novel, Geekomancy. Now, you say on your site that it pulls influences from several fan favorites, things like Buffy, The Dresden Files. What's it about? So, Geekomancy is the result of me thinking, what would geek magic be? And so what I ended up creating is kind of a fictional city, and the main character, Ri Reyes, is a, you know, a geeky woman in her 20s just trying to kind of make a living, and she kind of accidentally falls into the magical subculture of geekomancers, who are people who use their love of SF and F, and they do magic. So a geekomancer can pick up a Star Wars blaster prop and use it as an actual blaster, because it runs on a nostalgia battery that accumulates all of the love and appreciation of blasters, and it puts it and divides into the different props. She could tear up a Magic the Gathering card and do a one-shot effect. And then the most powerful style of geekomancy is genre emulation, where she can watch a TV show or a movie that she loves and then dial into that world. Watch The Matrix, do wire foo. Watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer, punching and quipping. Uh, so... This re kind of embraces the heroic life because she's been raised on these stories and is now getting to make a difference. So it's you know, for anyone who has enjoyed Ready Player One or likes Jim Hines' Liberomancer series, it's got that same kind of punchy pop culture feel in an urban fantasy setup. It's making me look around at anything I have lying about in a whole new light. Yeah, I'm it's, trying to decide what my thing would be, like what, what particular one I would want to. I'm just to. more worried if she came over to my house, what she would do to me with things that I... <laughs> <laughs> I like, like that she can have... That's actually a weapon now. Yeah, right? she, like she can have any ability. It's not like she has to pick one. She's not like a like an X-Men where you get like one ability or two abilities, and that's kind of your thing. It seems like she can... Her ability is taking other people's abilities. We're yeah, using those abilities. It's all about her passion, so if she watches a movie that she doesn't really like, she's not mm. going to get as much out of it as if she goes back to Star Wars or The Matrix or Buffy. Or, so she kind of has her, her favorites that I've developed throughout the series, which then be, kind of becomes her geekomantic utility belt. But then sometimes she needs to find a new way of doing something. So in the most recent novella, she emulates uh, Die Hard in order to kind of have John McClane's um, inexorable inertia so that she can keep going late at long and long and long into a fight. I would want Sherlock's abilities, I think, oh, to yeah. be able to yeah. solve crimes and deduce things. Yeah, I put that actually in the first in the first book. She watches the BBC Sherlock and then she sees the pop-up text to uh, to say, oh well, my landlord had has a surgical scar here and walks with this limp and has this much sun, uh, you know, sun damage. So you must have been a staff sergeant in Operation Iraqi Freedom. That's crazy. So she just takes on the Sherlock talent, but also the presentation as well. Yeah. So there's in some places there's the danger that her kind of speech patterns slip into the thing she's emulating. Hmm. So she copies the Princess Bride and then she's talking kind of. <laughs> Renaissance fantasy flowery, and when she copies Sherlock, she's kind of as uh, stubborn and blunt as uh, as the the Cumberbatch version of the character is. Interesting. Kung that Fu is movie. super awesome. Wow, words aren't even going to match her lips anymore. So what is she what is she fighting against? So in the first book, she kind of gets recruited by a senior geekomancer um, who goes by the handle of Eastwood, who's trying to track down. Um, some teen suicides, 
And so she kind of, she has him as a mentor for a while as they're trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, but he's really a terrible Obi-Wan Kenobi um, mm. for her because he really has no investment in being a teacher. And then as things go on, uh, kind of he shows more of his, his true colors and there's some complicated positionality going on. And she's kind of steps up to the plate because one of the, pe- the kids that becomes endangered is a friend of hers through her, her work. So she's got a personal investment. And then by the time the first story is done, she's like, nope, this is the thing I'm going to do because I can help. Is there other magic in the world or is it pretty much just geekomancy? There's a lot of different styles. In the first book, I establish uh, bromancy. So that's kind of <laughs> fraternity magic where you can do a chest bump and then do amazing things. The second book is called Celebromancy, which is the magic of fame. So you have a uh, like a big movie star comes to town, and she's going to do a, do a TV show. And people with Celebromancy can say, I'm so famous that I have an instant Photoshop makeover. You can walk into a room, command the entire room's attention, and be more gorgeous, more charismatic than you could be normally. And I've got a few other magic styles that are I'm intended to be as distinct, so it's not pyromancy and telekinesis. It's going to be something interesting and kind of cultural. Celebromancy seems yeah. totally unfair. Like, really? It really is. You're already famous, and then you get all these abilities, too. Yeah, and I, I kind of postulate a version of Hollywood that's run by a celebromantic cartel, where uh-huh. they're kind of influencing what's going to be a hit, because then that gives them more power that they then use to, for other things. Oh yeah, that's brilliant. That is really interesting. But also, I was I was looking into kind of the the plot line of Shield and Crocus. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah. Okay. So the the book that's coming out in June. Um, and I also kind of loved the the world that you had built around it, like the civilization, the city of people residing and and building their homes within the the bones of this titan, this massive giant. Um, and I I just kind of fell in love with that idea. So what what inspired that story? So Shield and Crocus has actually been with me since like summer of 2007 when I did the Clarion West workshop out in Seattle. And one of my classmates wrote a new weird story. So in the tradition of China Mieville, Jeff Vandermeer, KJ, uh, KJ Bishop. And that story was a great and it just blew me away. And I said, I'm going to do this thing. So I took the new weird and I wanted to combine it with something because I love genre mashups. And I decided that I could mash it up with superheroes because the superhero genre is really energetic and optimistic, but it tends to be kind of reactive. And between Marvel and DC, it's mostly heroes who are preserving the status quo. So I wanted to have heroes who are revolutionaries. So I took some of the things I like best about the new weird setting, kind of critical innovation, um, and then combined that with the action adventure and the optimism of superheroes. And I just had this image of a chalk outline of a person that was the skeleton of a titan. And then you could build a whole city up in it kind of as a literalized body politic. All of the rich and the collaborators with the, with the tyrants live in the head and the heart. And the peasants live in tenements out in the fingers and at the crotch. <laughs> that's, that's a brilliant metaphor it reminds me of the, the, a level of an online role-playing game right it would be perfect for that to sort of like weave your way through those different neighborhoods and and explore the body the body poly politic exactly 
So is it yeah. like they're living in the actual they're living in the actual skeleton, right? So is that like be, becoming the the structure of the buildings? Is it is it kind of built in that way? Some of them are. There are neighborhoods inside the skull, and there's building on top of the crown of the skull. So there's a tower of the city goddess, the city mother, and that's kind of the highest point in the entire city, looking from the from the skull all the way down across the city. But most of the buildings are built kind of outside and around the skeleton because there's actually monsters called shardlings that live inside the hollows of the skeleton. So it's not mm. safe to travel there. But sometimes the shields do because they need to get from one side of the city to another when the tyrants have patrols are active. Now we mentioned Jim Butcher uh, earlier and uh, I want to know if there are certain authors you sort of hold up a, as role models or, or influences or, or people that, that you feel like, even if it's not that you want to ach achieve the same kind of writing, you want to achieve that kind of success. Yeah, I, I have the fortune of a lot of role models between my work at Angry Robot and having friends who kind of brought me into the community when I was a brand noob. Um, Marie Brennan is an old friend of mine. Um, from our college days, actually. Oh, wow. Um, so she she started selling books, and we were in a critique group together, and she kind of helped me out when I was brand new. And so I've had a lot of people I can look up to. She's aggressively competent, uh, as some of my other friends are. But, you know, I look up to the productivity and professionalism of Chuck Wendig, of Shannon McGuire. I look up to the prose and kind of plot crafting of Scott Lynch. Um, I look up to the sociological ex, uh, kind of exploration and investigation of Octavia Butler. I try to, to read widely and to, to take my influences widely so that I can kind of join the conversation and expect a lot of myself because I always want to be giving myself a new challenge with every project so that I'm developing and getting better as a writer. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, those are all great people, uh, to, especially if you have had the opportunity to really get to know them and, and, and take inspiration from them and learn from them on a personal level. It sounds like you're, you're pretty well set up in that regard. Yeah, I never got to meet Octavia Butler, uh, unfortunately, but I've, I've worked with people who've studied under her. Uh, I've got to chat with Scott Lynch at a couple of conventions, and I, I talk with Chuck a lot. Um, so I took a class last fall with Mary Robinette Cole. Um, on writing fast and then wrote a novel draft in about five weeks. So <laughs> she, it worked. She's it a worked. teacher. <laughs> she was uh, posting up some cute Instagram pictures of her and Marie Brennan uh, doing some of their their cosplay stuff this this past week on, on Instagram. I was getting a kick out of that. It's always fun when you hear about like authors who you really love and admire, like know each other and hang out with each other. And you're like, that's cool. You guys must have awesome conversations. Um, but aside, uh, anyway, um, so what else are you reading these days, if, if you even have the time? Um, so I just finished reading Misery by Stephen King, because uh, my fiance is a huge Stephen King fan, so she's been kind of sliding them at me. I'd read the first two Dark Tower books, um, and then I read, um, I read uh, Salem's Lot and just did Misery. And Misery was phenomenal, kind of reading as a writer uh, and seeing very clearly where King had had experiences with fans and was kind of imagining for it that way. Mm -hmm. I also really liked um, The Goblin Emperor by Catherine Addison, which I read just recently. It's a nice antidote to Grimdark. If, you know, you've been reading a lot of fantasy and it's very angsty and lots of anti-heroes. Goblin Emperor is just delightful. 
That's we have fantastic. been reading a lot of grim dark recently. Uh, to you know, some of it's been a little more grim than others. Yeah, there were there were people uh, also complaining on on the other side of the fence, on the science fiction side of the fence. A lot of peril novels with wool and the Martian and things like that. So good to have something to lighten the mood. Absolutely. Uh, we have a lot of people in our audience who want to become writers or they're getting started being a writer. We always like to ask authors for anything that they would tell folks getting started writing. But with your position, any tips not only on, on becoming a, a successful author, but also getting published? Yeah, I think it's a great time to be trying to get into writing just because there's so many options. You know, I work in traditional publishing. I'm traditionally published, but I try to be aware of everything. And I think that there are projects where it's great to self-publish because you want the control or you have a specific way of doing things or you've got a great social network so you can think about kickstarting a, pro a project. I think one thing that writers can really do is uh, take an honest look at how they want to build their career and get a sense of what path up the mountain will let them get to the type of career they want to have. You know, if you want to hit the New York Times bestseller list, you're pretty much going to want to go traditional. If you want mm -hmm. to get a ton of readers, you can self-publish and build a community that way. We have a lot of options, and I think as long as you're, you arm yourself with a lot of information and are very clear about what your agenda is, there's a lot of different ways of going about it, and you can kind of be the captain of your own boat that is your career and just kind of sail the waters on your own terms. Having worked in publishing, are there any mistakes, common mistakes that you see new writers making? Yeah, I think it's really important to know where your work fits into the market. If you're writing science fiction fantasy, it may not do you a whole lot of good to to write to an agent and say, I have recently completed a science fiction fantasy book, young adult, new adult, crossover book that appeals equally to both markets. If you're going to pitch a book, pitch it into a market, say why it fits that market. And if you have a, a work that really truly crosses over, write two pitches. Hmm. Write one that says, this is totally a YA book and here's why. Write another pitch that this is totally an adult book and here's why. Because if it really is that perfect crossover, you're, the team you work with will recognize that and they'll do the work. When you're trying to get attention and trying to get an agent, trying to get a publisher, I think it's really important to respect the system that you're working into and to not try to make yourself out to be too much of a special snowflake. Show that you know the business and then let the work specialness kind of reveal itself. So learn how to play the game. Yeah, if you want to win the game, learn to play the game. And then when you're in it and you know it, then you can break a lot of rules. Now, Mike's too nice to say this, but essentially it's learn to play noobs. Cause... Learn to play noobs, L2P, <laughs> as we say in the gaming world. Well, that actually wraps up our interview. Um, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people follow all of your work online? Yeah, I'm at michaelrunderwood.com, and then I spend way too much time on Twitter at Mike R. Underwood, so people can find me there. Awesome. And the new book comes out on June 10th. That is uh, Shield and Crocus. And I'm very excited to check that one out. And you must be excited to finally be, be done and, and ready to launch. Yes, it's, uh, it's been a very long path since a short story into a novel and then kind of back and forth. And now years later, it's kind of it's all grown up and it's going off in the world to have adventures. 
<laughs> Yay! Fly, little book, be free. Fly, be free, fly. All right, and if you guys want to follow us and get in touch, our email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com. And if you want to call and leave a voicemail, the phone number is 415-7-SWORD-6. We'll see you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there. 